0: The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life.
1: Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple
0: Podcasts.
1: This podcast is supported by VPLUF, the Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association. Welcome to the Planning Exchange, where we interview built environment professionals who are doing interesting work beyond the ordinary. I'm Jess Noonan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Jewell
0: everybody to our first speaker series in the post-COVID era, and hopefully it stays that way, or it stays a post-COVID era. I'd like to start this morning by acknowledging the Wurundjeri Wurrung people who are the traditional owners of the land in which we meet today. And of course, also where many of us live. I'd like to acknowledge their creator Bunjil, their ancestors and elders, and acknowledge the strength and resilience of the Wurundjeri Wurrung people who have never ceded sovereignty and retain their strong connections to family, clan and country despite the invasion of Europeans. I'd like to also acknowledge the significant contribution of many other Aborig- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and pay my respects to their elders past, present and future. I'd of course also like to acknowledge the um, Presence of a number of the VPLA board members this morning, Mark, Tim, Ellen, Mia, I'm not sure if I've missed anyone else. Um, It made to me a common sense fit to invite the board members of VPLA to this morning's discussion. Um, VPLA as as well as Ratio are sponsors of the podcast planning exchange. And to me, there was just an obvious fit to bring us all together to put Jess and Peter on the other end of the microphone. Now, for those of you who are new to our Breakfast speaker series, this is a session where we kick the bed covers off and get out of bed a bit early, and we share a few laughs and listen to stories where the theme is really about everyday people who have done something extraordinary. We've had a broad range of guests in the past, um, ranging from Commonwealth gold-winning netballer Maddie Robinson, world-based jumping champion Chris McDougall, and someone who we all know very well, Dean Landy, who's an architect but, more importantly, the founder of the One Heart Foundation. We even tackled an online session, I'm not sure if it was lockdown one or lockdown two, someone will remind me later, with comedian Catherine Devney, and that was a great opportunity to have a few laughs at the expense of a few COVID memes. So I think it's fair to say, Peter and Jess, there's no pressure to come up with the goods this morning, <laughs> you're in fine company. I think it's also fair to say that we come away from these sessions generally feeling a little lighter, aspire, inspired, and of course, glad that we set the alarm early and made the effort to be here. So what makes today's guest so intriguing is that as the creators of Planning Exchange, which I personally think is the leading podcast on the built form environment, they are typically asking the questions, not answering them. So I'm really interested to hear what they have to say this morning. Now, for those of you not in the know, Planning Exchange is a series that promotes a better understanding of urban affairs, town planning and city design. And it aims to tackle a wide range of topics that are relevant to a national but also an international audience. Now we've um, at Ratio had the pleasure of a number of staff members being interviewed for the podcast. I think Tim, you've had the pleasure of being I think the only person asked back Um, and and we've also more recently had both Kath Hegan and Peter Malley being subjects um, of the podcast and I really recommend that you listen to both of those interviews, they're just fantastic. So I hope, like me, you're looking forward to hearing from them this morning as we delve into what brought a relatively fresh-faced and energetic planner such as Jess, together with a older and wizened, and some would say grumpier planner like Peter. I,
2: I, I thought this was a job interview this morning, so.
0: <laughs> so we have to start with how it all began and what brought the two of you together with the idea of creating the podcast? Do you want to start?
2: Well, I uh, uh, met Jess at a VIPLA function. Uh, It was at Maya. And and, and I met her, and I thought she was charming, and she told me she was doing a public health uh, master's. And so I I teased her relentlessly about being one of these middle-class do-gooders telling the poor people (laughs) what they shouldn't do with their lives. And the more I, you know, dug it in short-pitched at her, she just you know, laughed away and thought I was a twit. Um, <laughs> and, and that night, I also lost my wallet. But um, <laughs> the only time I've ever done that. But uh, so I that, thought, that was
1: actually at the Ballarat conference, no, oh, wasn't actually, it?
2: Actually, I met you once before, sorry, yeah. Jess. But you,
1: you, um, I actually forgot the true first time. Yeah,
2: so, the, so I, I, I love podcasts. I really got into it early. And so I thought, oh, what a great venue. So I approached Jess and... Also
1: at the Vapor Bowl.
2: At the Vipa So Vipla
1: has been a very. I was
0: um, say I can hear a common theme. Oh, here.
1: A very very common theme. So we have to thank VPLA for um, uh-huh. essentially being the genesis of a lot of these ideas. Well, well, fertile
2: ground. So I, I got in touch with Jess and she didn't know what I was talking about. So we. I met didn't him. even know
1: what a podcast was. Well, there at you that go. Point. So mm. it's the old leading the young yeah. with new
0: technology.
2: And, and so well, we this m- was
1: this was 2013, 2014. Yeah. So you know they weren't necessarily the most common medium yet. Um,
2: yeah, that, uh, yeah, well, I've been around for a few years, Jess, but, um, <laughs> but uh, so we arranged to meet in a cafe in Richmond and I, I, I went in and Jess probably thought I was trying to crack onto her or something, but <laughs> she was, um, she, was uh, she had a beautiful beret. She had a very Parisian look. And I thought, this is the podcast partner. I, I, I definitely need a bit of class with this. So we, we knocked the idea around. Do you remember the beret? Yeah, I
1: remember I think the beret. it was beret. black
2: or red, it was, was it? was black. Black, yeah. yeah. And um, so then we just worked out what to do. And we did our first interview with Chris Avery.
1: Mm, we had a single microphone, which we sat on the edge of the table and we all sat far too close together, which you would not be allowed to do in this day and age with, um, with COVID. Well, it was very well, awkward.
2: I don't believe in COVID protocols, but... Um, <laughs> so Chris was so much better prepared than us, but... Yeah. And that was PX1 and now this is PX94. Wow.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's been eight years, nine years?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it. it
0: is. Fantastic. Which is amazing. And so what really inspired you to do it, though? I mean, you're obviously both passionate planners and you've been both involved, and we'll get to that later in the podcast, about other ways that you've contributed to discourse in our in, um, industry. But what was the real genesis for it? Was there a, a moment?
1: Well, it was, you start, B, because well, it was well, your idea initially.
2: Well, I, I used to write for the planning journal in victoria and and that's writing is really hard so that I mean, was the red jacket red jacket um before that there was fireside chat before that there was educating sarah um, and i when i was a melbourne counselor Dare
0: i ask I, who sarah is
2: sarah was or named was? after uh, it was a edu- it was a diary of a young planner and it was an amalgam of my experiences and the experiences of people around me it was named after a uh, uh, the sister of a, a girlfriend of the time i Probably should have gone out with Sarah, but not Kate, but... Um,
0: I, I think that might be a whole nother
2: podcast. But, but uh, so, um, so uh, with the podcast I thought, you know, I, I loved the idea of amateurs having a crack. And, you know, Melbourne, Victoria is very, you know, fertile ground for people having a go. So we embarked on it, Jess, and we set sail on the good ship planning exchange.
1: And I think for me, um, I've always been really, really interested and really keen in um, understanding more about people and the industry and the leaders that we have in this amazing industry that we are all in. So um, I guess providing an, an additional Um, business development and professional development aspect into that was really really important so hearing more about those people that we all work with and um, just understanding what makes them tick so that was something that was really important Mm. for me.
0: Well maybe following on from that how do you go about selecting guests you've obviously spoken about people that you really look up to Um, how do you go about luring someone into the podcast?
1: To be honest, it's uh, I wish I wish we had more method to our madness, but we don't necessarily. We, we want Tim Bowles
2: every we, every time, but we can't get him. So, <laughs> uh,
1: so there's I mean, we we obviously um, between us have fairly broad professional net, professional and personal networks. So we've utilized that um, fairly substantially, but also um, people that we meet at events we bail up generally.
2: That was um, shocking.
1: Pete in particular.
0: And so, so what you're saying, if you see you with a pot of beer in your hand, Pete, at a vehicle a van, everybody should run the other way?
2: Not <laughs> only a gin and tonic, but, yeah. um, but uh, I mean, half our interview subjects are interstate or overseas mm-hmm. now. So um, like the Manhattan Institute do a great podcast, Ten Blocks, one of the best urban affairs podcasts in the world. So I approached the Manhattan Institute and they were great. And so we've interviewed a number of those. More recently, we've had a New York publicist approach us with their stable of people they want us to interview. Um, I
1: think it's fair to say as well that um, people have been incredibly generous with their time and people, as Pete said, people coming to us wanting to be interviewed um, and that's been fairly consistent the whole way through but more so probably in the last three to four years it's really taken off in terms of particularly our international audience so and presumably that says been, the
0: podcast has gained momentum and of course yeah. popularity Well yeah. well
2: we're listed as one of the top 20 urban planning podcasts in the world
0: no i said number one well don't, don't we are, put yourself well, down well, in I, australia I, probably now but
2: <laughs> Now I don't think there is 20 urban planning podcasts, but <laughs> but we you know we made yeah, the list. there's
0: no place for truth.
2: Well, well, that, that's my line. But uh, but you know, like I was watching a program on Hadrian's Wall on TV, and I thought you know this we I, I love the Romans. I studied Latin at school and things. So I, I sent English Heritage an email saying, look, you know we do. I'm with Jess and we do a podcast, and the fellow who was uh, you know, had the program has agreed to an interview. So. Pretty soon we'll be doing an interview on Roman towns and cities. We thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website.
1: This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at One Mile Grid. One Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. It's fair to say that
0: COVID has made the possibility of interviewing these people, whether they're international or interstate, I'm assuming that has been a silver lining for the podcast. Definitely.
1: I mean, as you can probably all see down on the floor there, the enormous amount of equipment that uh, we used to have to set up like this for every podcast in person, um, which now we don't have to do, which is amazing. So much better for Pete's back, because he was usually the one lugging that giant seat. People thought I was
2: carrying out a (laughs) whole lot lot of guns, but... um, (laughs) But, yeah, we were talking about doing overseas and interstate because, I mean, the pool in Victoria is very rich, but it's much better to get people, you know, all around the world. So, so if you want to broaden your
0: listenership too, you need to reflect that in your
1: guests. But, but I think in addition to that, um, something that we can all appreciate is that throughout Australia we have so many fantastic ideas and so many fantastic speakers, but... We don't really talk across states very often. Obviously, legislation is different, planning systems are different, but at the end of the day, we're all singing from the same hymn book. It's all the same information. It's just in different formats. So being able to um, hear from interstate listeners, uh, sorry, interstate speakers and um, international speakers is really important in understanding the um, the similarities the differences and the things that we can learn and I think that's where we'll we'll probably talk a little bit later about um public debate and um you know where we get fresh ideas and how we challenge status quo and that's I think how we start to do that
0: yeah I imagine too certainly I listen to almost all the um podcasts the th- one of the things that I've got on it or got from listening is just how common our challenges are in Victoria to a number of your from around the world. So it is extraordinary, as you say, while the legislation and the geographical challenges are unique to Melbourne and Victoria, but at the end of the day, all major cities throughout, particularly the Western world, are experiencing similar challenges and it's really great to get that perspective.
2: Well, well most of our listeners are overseas. So um, we've broadened out and one of the things we have to, when we're interviewing you know, people from Victoria, we have to say, look, our listeners are all around the world. If you talk about Ballarat or Geelong, put it in a context. You know, we, we didn't start this to talk about the general Which residential Which for the international
0: zone. listeners, they're major regional cities outside Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, obviously this is the podcast, that's my line. So so we wanna, there's a lot of universal yep. themes um, and it's, it's just great to get input from everywhere.
0: Yeah. And in terms of input, Along with podcasting, there's often social media and that sort of feedback. Are you on those platforms? And if so, what sort of feedback are you getting there and how do you deal with it?
1: The social media is generally my domain. Um, I wouldn't say it's something that we're particularly good at, but we're trying to really up our ante in that space. Um, But we don't really get – we were talking about this the other day – we don't really get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of positive feedback um, from the people that we – Speak to regularly, but we don't get a lot of negative feedback, do we, Pete? Or, no, or if we no, do, we're no, not personally getting it. No, people people <laughs>
2: are far too polite for that. But uh, you know, it's remarkable. The listeners, uh, we we just produce this program and then just send it out on the ether. And you know, I, I joke to our subjects that the Mongolian goat herder will be listening to you, or the person in in Birmingham will can be listening to you. So. Um, and, and
1: it's really interesting when you actually look at the breakdown, or the geographic breakdown of where our listeners come from. Um, as Pete said, the States is obviously a really big um, base there, but there's some really random locations where we get quite a lot of listeners from. Um, really, really small countries that half the time we've never even heard of. That, And look, who knows, maybe they're just... Googling it and or Googling planning podcasts. So do I sense a
0: tax-deductible whirlwind tour for the planning exchange?
1: <laughs> Definitely.
2: Absolutely. It's funny
1: you mentioned yeah. that. We um, we interviewed um, Loudon Luca, for those of you in the audience who remember Loudon, who's um, now based in Malawi. And um, we spoke with him about potentially setting up a podcast in Malawi with Loudon. Um, Malawi with, planning exchange. Yeah.
2: Mm, yeah. Great.
1: Which is, um, Fantastic.
0: He's a dynamic man, isn't he? He's, He's a really dynamic man. Um, as someone that has had the privilege of being to Malawi, I do recommend it, it's beautiful. Um, have you had guests that have particularly stood out to you? You've had some 94, I think it is, um, podcasts. Have there been individuals that have really stood out?
1: We have to be careful here, because we've the
2: got a lot of in interest. Interest. Uh, Our subjects in the room. Uh, I, I, I don't think so, you know, I was thinking about this, um, You know, like, it's like I I played 100 games of footy with my old club and, you know, people say, what was the best game or what was the most enjoyable. It it all blurs, but there's consistent themes and the consistent theme, I think, is just how interesting people are, how people surprise you all the time and um, that you don't know everything. That, you know, there's a lot of wise, sensible people out there
1: And I think the other thing is we've done a lot of, um, you know, probably left of field people um, and tried to relate that back to planning. So, for example, we did um, Ned Schofield and um, I can't remember his wife's name now, but Raquel, Raquel, sorry, Raquel, and um, about their wool growing business in the Western District. And I remember when Pete sort of... Brought them to me. I'm going to relate this. The, the, the company's name's
2: McIntyre, McIntyre, and they yeah. they, they created a, a fashion brand, and they sourced all their wool from Western Victoria from a family farm.
1: And you think, how on earth are we going to relate this back to planning? But
2: yeah, I, we did. I, I just love the business concept, mm. and they were fantastic. Mm. She was from Hol- Holland,
1: yeah, that's and right. uh,
2: she introduced the idea of a nightmare, you know, in Amsterdam or, or you know, Antwerp. They there's a daymare, yes. and there's a nightmare, who Which looks after the, the night I think the
0: now has. I'm feeling yeah. terrible because I can't remember who it is, but mm. I was listening to a program on the radio recently, and they, they were talking about this concept of the yeah. nightmare.
2: They probably listened to our podcast exchange. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so. Um, you two obviously make an unorthodox com- combination. What makes it work?
2: Mm. Yin and Yang. Je- Jess is uh, charming, <laughs> uh, friendly. She never ceases to amaze me. And uh, what you hear in the podcast is exactly that personality. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I, I normally sit apart from her because she wants to kick me in the shins when we do the interviews. <laughs> and I we, always
1: make sure I've got my big boots on, which I don't have today. W- so. You know, w-
2: when, when we're doing it, our Zoom interviews, we communicate through our phones. Uh, like, you next, or this is going badly, or this is, you know, answering too long. Abort and this question. She'll send me messages like, stop trying to alienate all our young listeners, you know. <laughs> and and, and like, I'm like, just, yes, just, you know, like, all these wokey-wokey, you know, snowflakes. But i just like, no, chance yes, we're going to do it, you know. But you,
0: think, but presumably, Petty, you've always struck me as someone that's been quite direct and say how it is. Well, but well, surely well, that contrast is exactly what makes a podcast work.
2: Well, yeah. you have to tease people out, don't you, Jess? <coughs> Definitely. I mean, you do it a different way to me. Mm. I sort of blast them out. just so, oh, please come out.
1: <laughs> well, we have a completely different approach and a completely different agenda, I think, as um, we were sort of saying before. I'm really interested in understanding what makes people tick and how they got to where they are and understanding their background, whereas Pete's a little bit more direct... Oh, um, well,
2: I hope I'm polite, but... Yeah, no,
1: you are know, uh, sometimes polite.
2: I, I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, really challenge people. Like Pete Malley from here, he was fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, it was just before Christmas. It was a night interview. I'd had a number of reds and... Um,
1: I had a screaming baby in the background, yeah, so I had just, to excuse myself for half an hour.
2: But, you know, to, to challenge some of the ideas, you really have to push a bit. You have to push... You know, we don't want to hear about, oh, we need more bike lanes or let's plant more trees. I mean, it's just boring. Mm. Yep. So uh, I think direct is, I hope to always be polite, always hope to be polite.
1: And it's not necessarily about always having opposing views necessarily, no. it's about uh, challenging the status quo, I think. And I think Pete does that really well. Um, Generally. <laughs> no, you Thanks, do. don't Thanks. <laughs>
2: He
1: does it really well in, in the sense that he's not afraid to do that, whereas I think, as we can probably all appreciate, we do live in a society where we don't do that very often anymore. We're not used to challenging people anymore because we don't want to be um, disrespectful and being able to do that in a respectful way is something that's really challenging I think.
2: Well, I've well, probably got more independence than most people so I can do that. Jess is you know coming up through the ranks in terms of profession she's got a long career in front of her I don't so um, <laughs> it's easier for me to you know throw the bombs.
0: Well you can speak without fear or as much fear of repercussions from a work perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got clients, but I don't do government work. So you know, and people, you know, people interviewing government people is the hardest because they're so cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, people don't want to break from the ranks; they want to stay in the flock, which is, you know, it's a pity.
0: Yeah. And has your working relationship changed over the years? The podcast's been going for thirteen, fourteen years. How how have things changed between you? Obviously. Yeah. Jess, you're a mum now. Peter, you're approaching the older years of your oh. career. I don't know quite how to say it. <laughs> okay, uh, but you know, Peter now lives on uh, the uh, Bellarine.
2: Uh, I'm down at Queens. I'm going to get some Botox now. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Colin. That's a great question.
0: But obviously, I think you know, over 13 or 14 years, the dynamic, I assume, has continued to evolve and develop.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny because I think we we started out very much as colleagues. I mean, we didn't really know each other particularly well, except for a couple of nights at Veepler functions where, as we said before, that we'd, we'd met. And um, yeah, I mean, now we're, we're friends. We, we know each other really well. And I think we know um, what each other is thinking before we've really said it. Um, we can always anticipate, I think that's fair to say, anticipate yeah. what each other is going to say or how they're going to approach something.
2: I think we're both not precious with each other. Yeah. I mean, we're, you, know, we're, you know, Jess is a super polite person and, and very wise. he has got a wise head on it. You Thank know, you uh, and um, we, can, we can throw around ideas and not fear that there's going to be a pushback. Um, mm. And we're, 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 we've both got a common purpose. Yeah. And I've got a normal – I think the respect builds and the trust also. It's like, a, like in a footy team, you just know that person is going to do that you know, get you in the right position, so.
1: And being able to tell each other, or in Pull my your case. head in, Pete, yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. I just ignore it, though.
0: <laughs> so, maybe changing tack slightly, what got each of you into planning? And, of course, the question I ask almost every planner when I first meet them, was geography your favourite subject at high school?
1: No, it wasn't for me. <laughs> controversial. Controversial. Um, I um, I probably came to planning a little bit differently to a lot of other people, but um, I wanted to be a nurse. So I was very, very much into health, very much into science and um, was enrolled in, I think, three or four nursing, um, I think randomly um, uh, accounting as well, which makes very little sense because I really don't like numbers. (laughs) So I... I was enrolled in all of those things, and at the last minute, my dad, who was friends with um, Trevor Budge, um, suggested, oh, have you thought about planning? And you for know. our
0: international listeners, Trevor Budge is a very highly respected regional planner. Thank you, <laughs> Um
1: So, yeah, and then my, my dad said, oh, you know, this is what Trevor does, what do you think? And um, I sort of thought, oh, I wonder whether or not that's something that I can compile that interest around health. Um, and public health, and, you know, I sort of thought that might be something I um, look into d- further down the track. And, um, yeah, then here we are. I did planning at RMIT, and um, then I ended up doing public health as a further study. Yeah, which um, you finished
0: last year or the year before?
1: No, 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 back in 2015, I oh, think okay. it was, many years yeah. ago now, so, yeah. Fantastic.
2: My, my path was a bit different. I came up from Geelong. I, uh, I, I left, you know, finished HSC. Got a job at St. V's as an orderly for three months. Um, and fortunately, a family had a flat in Fitzroy. So I did first year civil engineering and discovered the joys of Melbourne. I got my first girlfriend, met lots and lots, tons and tons of new people, uh, completely failed first year civil. And I uh, you know, went to a family friend who's an architect and said, you know, you're not cut out to be an architect. And I, at the time, I thought that was very cruel because my father was an architect. And he said planning, you know, you you know, plan all right, So. And this so. would have been
0: at a time when planning was really only just emerging as a profession.
2: Yeah, it wasn't the yeah. 50s, but... No, um, no, no, but, well, but I, uh, I say that
0: in that I studied in the late 80s, early 90s, and planning right. had maybe been around for 10 or 15 years as a degree because before that planners were civil engineers
2: yeah yeah there was a group there was a batch before me but not many before me so i I just i've stumbled into planning like i stumble into most things in life and um, it's been very good to me the profession i don't know if i've been good to the profession but it's been very good to me yeah
0: and could you each list a project that has been particularly rewarding to you and why
1: Um, For me, um, and this is probably just a bit of context here, so after I did my um, Masters of Public Health, I ended up sort of moving a little bit into um, social planning and strategic planning, um, more than the statutory planning that I used to do. And I guess with that, I've started doing um, some work around community infrastructure planning, which has been really, really rewarding. It's not necessarily the bulk of my work, but something I sort of do every now and then. And does
0: that Um, tie into the Masters in Public Health?
1: Yeah, more broadly. I mean, Masters in Public Health is not necessarily... um, There's not a a very clear um, career path coming out of that, but obviously you can relate pretty much everything back to public health in planning. So um, probably the most rewarding project I did was the Hampton Park Community Infrastructure Plan, which was... um, redoing or replanning that particular community center with um, the local community there, which was a very, very challenging community, very um, very culturally diverse, um, very interesting background and successfully getting the funding from um, council and state government for that facility. so, that's been something i was really proud of
2: oh god yawn um but uh i'll say social housing or drug rehabilitation no i won't say that at all i've worked on those projects i think the funnest one i did was 370 st Kilda road which is for our listeners overseas is a sort of main commercial corridor and we managed to i managed to write up a submission where we smashed the height limit by 100 meters uh so we went from 60 to 160 meters uh it got in the banner of the age or, you know when they put out the banners like outrage over giant tower i got that framed i love i love breaking rules i love pushing stuff so i'm not going to say social housing or drug rehabilitation no i just like you know the bad stuff yeah.
0: so 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 taking that to the next step how do we stir up debate in planning
1: mr debate himself
2: well it, it, you know planning is very conservative no one wants to say anything uh, the government as a heavy hand or an invisible hand to that quells dissent or, or or you know challenges the status quo. I think that's the nature of our, our our profession. So I think things like planning exchange and more irregular actions. You've just got to get the ideas into the public domain.
1: And that's where I think um, we can really add some value, like I was saying before, about um, utilising those views of inter, interstate international speakers and understanding all of those different points of views and how we can utilise that information in our local sense.
0: Because Peter, what comes to mind for me is, um when you were writing, for example, Red Jacket on the... You used to be in the back page of the Planning News. And um, back in the day, I think I was working at the City of Stonington and when Planning News came out each month, I went. that was the first page that I went to. Um, and that was quite controversial. I remember at the time you were very forthright. I think Rob McClellan was um, Planning Minister back then, and you were pretty forthright in your opinions. Did you find that a way to sort of advocate some change...
2: I did, and it, but it's really hard writing, uh, you know, co- coherent articles because, you know, you're not getting paid for it. You've got, all, you know, at the time I had you know, three kids and, you know, business and all sorts of it's really hard to have the discipline and you do cop a lot of flack. Um, you know, there was letters saying, you know, I should be banned basically and we actually interviewed that person recently But, uh, and you know, look, I don't hold grudges. Um, Life's too short for that. But, you know, people- You should wear
0: that as a badge
2: of honor, shouldn't you? Well, you know, Sarah got a love letter. I mean, you know, like, so, (laughs) you know, that earlier column mine, So, you know, but I find the podcast, you know, we project it out there and it's a lot easier because it's informal.
1: It's funny because the, the red jacket was before my time. So I never knew anything about this red jacket and I think we'd already started the podcast by that point, and someone said, Oh, is, is he the red jacket guy? And I was like, Oh. Mm. Yeah,
2: that's the red jacket. Red jacket was actually named after a sailing boat that I used was to about sail, to, to, that, sail right? to Melbourne, carried a lot of immigrants here. That's the red jacket.
1: Was there a
0: picture of you on the back in a red jacket?
2: No, I wanted to be on page three, sort of <laughs> looking pretty buff, but no, they didn't ask me. <laughs>
0: I think that was about the same time that James Livingston nominated himself for Planner of the Year with the most spectacular nomination about his dress style and taste <laughs> in music, and it's single-handedly the best nomination I think I've ever read in my whole life. It was brilliant. Um, let's get on to the planning reform process. Um, it's obviously been in the paper a lot over the last couple of months. Um, I think it's fair to say there's a bit of dummy spitting going on from both sides of the fence. Um, Jess, what do you think needs to be done to get planning back on track and to maybe cut out some of the the dead wood or unnecessary processes and things that are holding back approvals in the state?
1: I think, as we said before, for me, it's really... I mean, not getting into the nitty-gritty of it, but I really just think we need to start questioning what we're doing and the purpose of what we're doing. Because without understanding that, we can go through multiple phases of reform, which we do every couple of years, generally speaking in the planning industry, but just questioning why we're doing it. Is there, what's the purpose behind it? And um, is there a real direction coming out of that? For me, that's the key thing we need to just keep questioning. And that's why I really love the podcast is because we can start to do that and start to question and challenge the status quo.
2: You know, the work of planners is so important to how society functions. And at the moment, there's a lot of big things that are being missed, like the intergenerational uh, bastardry happening to people sort of under 40 in terms of the housing market, in terms of access to jobs, um, lots and lots of things. Um, and we, we sort of, we, we've lost focus on that. Uh, what can planning... I don't think the planning industry really wants planning reform. Uh, The government's got no interest in planning reform because the media jumps on everything. You know, the media will jump on the worst example. You know, I think the media in this country, with a few exceptions, is really uh, base. uh, Well, it is interesting,
0: isn't it, that one week property prices are plummeting because there's been a a 0.2% correction based on auction results and then the next week um, property prices are running out of control.
2: Housing inflation, they should call it you know, not property prices. Housing inflation is, you know, a, an evil in our society. It shouldn't be celebrated. Um, so planning reform, uh, you know, I, I, I think we have to have people talk, you know, like come out like, you know, Tim and you know others have done over the years and be those sort of almost Robin Boyd's pushing the agenda.
0: So if I gave... and, and
2: you, Colin, you've been very brave in the past. Put, you know, sticking your neck out, uh, advocating for, uh, against very bad policy. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of bottle to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to be with you.
0: So if I, if I wave the magic wand and put you in charge of planning reform, what are three things that you'd do?
2: I'd get a new bathroom there in the minister's <laughs> office. Um, <laughs> I, I'd have Sometimes. servant girls. Oh, no, sorry, Jess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you better be careful. She's got her kicking boots on.
2: Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know What I'd do is I'd have a competition. I'd say, here's 50,000 bucks, two months, we're gonna pay five firms, here's 50,000 bucks, give us 10 ideas, you know, 10 ideas, and I'd pull some good people in. And there's some really, really smart people out there who you know not tinkering around the edges, not, you know, it's not about the number of permits. It's just about, I'd rewrite the planning scheme to, recognize how important uh enterprise is and how change happens through enterprise and we don't want to put the brakes on that stuff we want to encourage it Mm. i mean you won't see anything in the planning scheme about encouraging enterprise it's just you know it's outrageous and i you know we've had such changes in the last 30 40 years in terms of technology and uh You know social social things that's not reflected in the planning scheme it's basically 1970s and i'm not knocking the people from the 70s they were great people but we just haven't got that you know what's the shoe
1: i think i think it's funny because we it's a question we ask a lot of our listeners about um creativity within the planning system and how we can actually utilize the intel that we have within the industry and everyone sort of Everyone has these great ideas and we talk about it a lot offline um, when we're recording the podcast, but people don't feel that they can actually publicly come out with those opinions or ideas. So it's amazing the intel that we have. We just need to be able to tap into it in the correct way and as we were alluding to before, that people just can't, particularly in government, just can't come out with those opinions, which mm. doesn't help anyone. Yeah. So I always
0: think one of the ironies too of this planning reform process is that the state government has really staffed up in that area. Um, But, of course, what they've done is basically taken a whole bunch of planners working in both private but also um, local government practices. And I know that there's a number of local government planning departments that have been decimated by staff leaving to go into the state government planning reform team, um, which of course ironically then slows the whole system down. Yeah. So um, one of the big challenges I think we're facing is just getting more bums on seats and whether that's more graduates, um, getting more people in from overseas. Um, we have found it quite interesting to discover that urban design isn't one of the nominated professions on the Department of Immigration's priority list. And we've had an interesting experience recently of trying to sponsor one of our urban designers who's now actually a qualified landscape architect because that profession is on the list. Mm. So it's been quite a challenging process. And as we sort of talked about it, there's many answers. There's no one solution. um, But sometimes the beast createth more of the problem. Mm. Um, Let's just talk about COVID. We know that COVID's changed the way we see our city. And of course, it's also changed Melbourne's relationship with the regions. So what are some of the things that you see perhaps on an ongoing basis for Victoria?
1: I think for me, um, and as I mentioned before with my sort of public health hat on, something that I've really noticed is those uh, middle and outer ring suburbs are really starting to prosper, um, particularly coming out of lockdown because you know, and these are obvious points, obviously, that through um, through lockdown people were living more locally and really relying on their local neighbourhoods. And that really excites me because I think those outer, or particularly the um, growth area activity centres, have really just, they've always lacked a bit of zhuzh, to use your word, Pete. Um, and they really seem to be coming into their own now. And I'm really excited by that and I guess in addition to that is the um the traction that the 20-minute neighborhood is getting now and again it's been a concept that's been around for a really long time but actually seeing that um play out I think is really important in planning and being able to you know ensure that we are planning for really good communities that are healthy and create the the best environment for people and their health.
0: Yeah I found it really interesting watching the discussion mostly through um the papers about this dichotomy between trying to get life and energy back into the CBD and prioritising the CBD as the economic driver of the state, but equally we've got planning policy that openly wants to see a more localised living and seeing that dichotomy play Mm. out in the papers has been really fascinating. What about you, Peter? Well, with COVID, I'm
2: going to start to answer this question in a different way. We interviewed Tim just before, uh, before well, just as the first lockdown started. And in that, you know, I said lockdowns were the biggest public policy failure in this country's history. And I suspect that the, as time goes on, that that is going to be more and more evident. In two years time, no one is going to be talking about COVID. Everyone's going to be talking about the costs associated with the government action, you know, whether it's lost education, uh, the sickness, um, yeah, mental health, the mental health, the, the cost to the economy, the. The snapping of relationship forming, uh, you know, just things like the birth rate dropped to 1.58, the fertility rate in Australia during COVID. You know, I I suspect a lot less babies were born than people died from COVID. Um, These things you can't artificially play around with these natural ecosystems. Um, So I, I think the catastrophe that was the government's handling is instructive to us in planning in some ways as well. Um, in terms of the CBD, uh, I think you know what happened to Australian the Australian industrial sector during the 70s, 80s, and 90s with the industrialisation. That is going to happen to the white collar sector in the CBD. And I think people are saying, you know, why do I want to travel two hours a day to go into a city to pay 20 bucks for you know lunch? I don't need that. So We've really played around with the natural order, and I I think the CBD's in a lot of trouble. Uh, In in terms of, you know, the neighborhood, the outer areas, you know, what Jess was talking about, I just think that's a trickle-down effect from the inner city going out to the, you know, people enterprise creating those spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, government doesn't do that, people do that. People make it, so we should encourage those people.
0: And how do you think that decentralisation sort of ties into things like the way we're planning our infrastructure, our public transport usage, for example, you know, the um, SRL versus the bus network versus trackless trams, how do you see that playing out?
1: Well, I think with things like, um, again, just using that outer or the, um, the growth area environment as an example, I think it's going to be a positive thing for that because we're going to see um, more density, more people living in those areas and more people um, being present in those areas during the day because they're not coming into the city constantly for work so if people are living more locally hopefully that starts to um you know put more pressure on that infrastructure requirement um particularly with the local infrastructure being buses or you know we are talking a lot about trackless trams these days as well i feel like it's the buzzword of the moment every i must
0: admit i still am waiting for um aaron Wally from our office to properly explain to me why trackless tram isn't a bus (laughs) am i the only cynic
1: There's a lot of conversations like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like every second project is talking about trackless trams at the moment, so they must be coming It's yeah. <laughs> some point.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's lots of different... What was the question again, Colleen?
0: I was just... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think I went a bit off track there.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry. I was, I was just listening to Jess, so... Um, it was really about
0: how the decentralisation might impact the way that we're making decisions around infrastructure, so public transport... Particular. Well, well,
2: I, I, you know, we were experiencing crazy, crazy levels of immigration before COVID. Like, unsustainable amount. And I think Melbourne became very unlivable in parts. There was a crush. Uh, infrastructure hadn't, you know, was lagging. So if you go to the western suburbs, so for our listeners overseas, that's sort of the, the, the more aspirational poorer parts of Melbourne. It's just a f- a flat plains where rows and rows of housing is just rolled out like a carpet um i, I, I think the work wasn't done we were just ex- expanding too quickly uh it's given us a pause the the slowdown immigration um the public transport we just need new ideas you know i talked to pete Malley about this you know we need those bongo vans we need <laughs> you know we, we need we need to unleash the entrepreneurial spirit. Not everything has to come out of Spring Street. You know, let you know. I hate to quote Mao Tse Tung because he's, a you know, an evil guy and killed many, many millions of people. But he said, let 100 flowers bloom. And I think we should take that approach.
0: Yeah, I'm always intrigued too about, on one hand, the excitement that the SRL brings and the funding of a outer suburban rail loop, but versus a 30-year infrastructure plan that's identified a number of priority projects of which the SRL is not on there and, of course, the diversion of funding that that program represents. Well, well,
2: Um, I'll make the comment that 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 railway that's been proposed, what's it called that?
0: Oh, Suburban Rail Loop.
2: So that is going to be like the equivalent of the outer suburban rail line in the 1880s, 1890s. I think it's just a disgraceful waste of money and it was never on the infrastructure list but it just shows that politics, or politicians thought bubbles, overcomes all the sensible things we put in place. So I, I think it's an abysmal waste of public resources. And plus, you know, in the state where we are, listeners, you know, the state debt of Victoria has tripled since 2019, tripled. We're not gonna have any money soon. You know, with rates are gonna be rising. So a lot of this magical thinking stuff that we've had for 20 years I think those days are gone.
1: So roll out more bongo vans. Well, no, no, you just need to look
2: at uh, other <laughs> other things, Jess. <laughs> so.
0: I think people forget too that the last time um, Victoria was in this perilous economic position was in the late... Sorry, no. The early early 90s. 90s. That's when I started the business. And that's yeah. where the casino was approved, and gaming came into Victoria. And I just know, not sure what options we have left in terms of trying to raise revenue to pay off some of this debt. Mm-hmm. Well, if you
2: want to raise taxes, cut taxes. You got to unleash entrepreneurial mm-hmm. spirit. That's the best way. If you, it sounds, you know, not right. But if you want to raise taxes, cut taxes.
0: Now, we've spoken a bit, Peter, about some of the work that you've done in your younger years as Red Jacket. I just want to flip back over to Jess. You've obviously been highly involved with PR, and I think you've been vice president of PR. And I just wanted for you to share perhaps some of your experiences getting involved in planning at that level and what you've got out of it as well as what you've put into it.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been involved with PR now, Planning Institute for those listeners outside of Australia. Um, I've been involved in PIA now think since probably twenty ten thereabouts, which is um probably my graduate actually no it would have been before, that would have been about two thousand and eight. So I was still a student when I was um first involved. So I was involved in the Young Planners for many years, national young planners, um yeah, and then vice president and committee member for many years as well. I've currently stepped away um as I've been on Mat leave, but um, it's been a really rewarding experience. It's been a way, uh, just a fantastic way to meet people and network. I don't know that the podcast would have happened in the same way if I hadn't have been involved in it, in, you know, as heavily as I was. So just the ability to meet people, be involved in the policy development and the debate, I think has been really, really rewarding. Um, you know, I, I would certainly advise anyone to be involved in their professional Industry, whether that whether that be PIA, whether that be VPLA, um, you know, property council, UDIa, there's a million different um, committees that we have. But I think the the other aspect to it is the mentoring. So the mentoring aspects that um, are available to you through those networks are just incredible. Just the the way in which you can utilise those networks to your advantage in your career is really important.
0: And are you finding now that you are more established in a career that you're now starting to doing some mentoring yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I've always been involved in the mentoring program through PIA, um, but also, I mean, informally as well, we do so much mentoring without calling it mentoring, you know, mentoring to me is more about just having connections with people and um, meeting people for coffee and talking about
0: or chewing the fat really about Mm. whatever it might be. So very, very important. And what, what about you, Peter? You must have mentored over a few gin and tonics over the
2: I, years. I've mentored different people, and, I, and I, I had great mentors. You know, my boss at Doncaster and Templestowe, when I was working in the council, he, Red Pen would come back all over my reports and say, "You know, how can you say that?" It, was, it wasn't. It was firm, and he made me a lot better. And um, when I worked at Bruce Hennis and Architects, Bruce taught me an enormous amount about how to be pleasant to people and how to be positive. <laughs> because you know i was uh you know i thought i knew everything i was 20 something i thought i knew everything and bruce just said look you know he was just oh we've got a big problem here but let's let's work on it let's how do we you you don't get something by hitting someone Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, i think mentoring is super important
0: fantastic.
1: And and I think as well, just to add to that, there's different types of mentoring throughout different parts of your career. You know, there's the mentoring you have in your early years when you're starting to establish, but that mentoring continues on. You know, I've still got mentors now that I go to whenever I need something, but it's just important the whole way through your career. Um, I can also say I'm lucky enough that two of my previous mentors are in the room here today, um, Christina and Kath. So um, I've been very, very lucky with, with the mentors I've had.
0: Fantastic. Now, just for our audience, we will flick to some questions in a moment, so I'll get you to get your brain cells um, going so you can think, but I'll just ask a couple more questions in the interim. Um, Jess, you've had a baby during COVID, and I'm just curious as to how your experience um, of that, and of course, coming back into the office particularly now that we have a lot more ex- flexibility mm. just what your experience would be and perhaps words of advice for other young mums or perhaps um, aspiring young parents <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i can highly recommend having a baby during lockdown it's great you don't have uh, anyone coming over and wanting to um, interfere during those early weeks so <laughs> 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 that was great um but you know also a lot of challenges as well through that um You obviously don't have as much family support as you would normally like. My family are not in Melbourne, so I didn't see my family for a very long time. Um, They didn't meet my baby for a really long time. So, you know, that that was challenging in itself. But I think in in terms of the return to work, um, I've technically been back at work for about a month, but I think I've only actually worked maybe four days, (laughs) daycare bugs. So um, for all the parents out there, um, that is a... A real challenge and something that I'm not sure how we work through. But um, I didn't really appreciate how hard that was going to be until um, I was in it. And it's funny the conversations you start to have with your um, with your partner, um, whose job is more important, who's got the more important day, who's got the most clients, or in his case, patients. It's um, it's a real struggle. So I think that. That flexibility that we now have in our work um, to work from home is really, really important and something that um, the new new parents and new mums will really benefit from. Um, Hopefully that means we start to see a bit more participation of women in the workforce because it means that we can juggle a little bit more um, if we weren't already juggling enough
0: and and for fathers as well and to for have as well. be more yeah. open to take a, a greater share of those parenting responsibilities. Definitely. Now to prove that there's no gender bias, I'm going to ask you a parenting question Peter, because men don't often get asked them. Your children are obviously older. Mm. I think you've got two adults. Three. Three adults. So how has your relationship with them shifted during Covid?
2: Uh I, I you know or if it has? Sorry. Well, I was I based in, it has. I was based in Queenscliff, so I'd come up there in Melbourne. Um, and uh, my daughter is in a, a care uh, facility. She got very ill about eight years, five years ago. She got very sick, so I would come up to Melbourne and see them each week. I just saw them deteriorate. Um, they're very bright kids, and you know the the fear that they had during lockdown, and and uh, Melbourne was, as you know, you know post apocalyptic sort of mm-hmm. gloom. So it really affected them. They were worried about the police for the first time in their lives. Um, I try to encourage them to go streaking during curfew, but they wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I saw them deteriorate. Um, my younger son missed the first two years at uni of socialising. Yeah. Um, Which is
0: I don't think people should underestimate uh, how massive that is. Uh, and, think and just, about, for all of us here, we've had the joy of University, and whether it's oh, beers
2: at the pub or... It, 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 you know, massively tukes, yeah. important to your development. And, you know, the, the public health messaging, I, I really hated it. You know, so, um, you know, staying apart keeps us together. I mean, it's all welly and, and, and I could see that that whole campaign playing it out on my kids. So, I, you know, I mean, I went to three of the anti-lockdown protests. I went to the original one and I went to two others. You know, I, I just think... So many bad things happen in terms of liberty, democracy, and also it made me realise how a lot of nasty things have happened in history. How people can be marginalised, like the Jews, you know, or by the Nazis or other people. How um, very we're not far away from very bad places, and we need to defend our liberties mm. so much for the next generation coming through.
0: Well, it's very interesting too. seeing obviously now it's what is unfolding in ukraine yeah, and you uh, can see...
2: ukraine has changed everything you know in so many ways the implications of COVID and ukraine uh, you know slava ukraine you know they, they are unbelievable people but their fight for liberty um and also what's going to happen in the energy market you know, i think there's going to be before ukraine and after ukraine
0: Thanks for the support from Ratio Consultants, an independent voice and trusted partner in planning, urban design, transport and waste management. Ratio supports change through projects that shape cities, neighbourhoods and places for people. See ratio.com.au for details. So one last question before we turn to the audience and that is, and this is a question that you often ask your own interviewees, what are you reading right now?
2: Uh, I'm reading uh, Far From the Maddening Crowd by Thomas Hardy. It was written in about the 1870s. It's a fantastic book. Uh, a lot of modern literature I just can't take to. You know, it's a gender pushing or, you know, various, you know, yuck. Um, and there's so many good classics out there. So Thomas Hardy and the way he writes about emotions and relationships with people, people don't change. It's the same thing. So I would highly recommend um, Far From the Maddening Crowd by Thomas Hardy.
0: And for you, Jess,
1: I've had a lot of time to read over the last few weeks, being sick in bed for God knows how long. So I've been reading a book called um, A Little Life, um, for those that have... Oh, (laughs) Mia knows that one. Um, I can't think of the author's name now, though. It's escaped me. Um, I think it's a Japanese author. Um, But it's really quite a heavy book um it's about four um teenagers or four um four men that sort of go through their lives and i won't won't spoil the the plot no here plot but switches. it's one of those books that's quite a hard read to start with i feel like the first 600 pages or thereabouts is sort of waiting for something to happen and then all of a sudden everything happens and you go okay this was worth the investment um but yeah that's been really really good book to start. Fantastic.
0: I noticed for me personally, I found it really hard to get back into reading after COVID. I think a lot of people really struggled with the concentration necessary to sit down with a book. I finally read my first full book last week in two and a half years, so pat on the back. I managed to actually stay off the phone long enough to actually get it read. So. Well,
1: Colleen, I don't know if you've listened to our more recent podcast, but I've been um, talking about a book called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and it sounds like you need to read that yes. one. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting book. So I've been um, trying to read more physical books now. I've always been an avid Kindle reader, and um, the physical books has been really, really... Um, really good yeah, for concentration and, yeah, highly recommend.
0: Alrighty, so now over to our audience. We've got about 30 people um, sitting in front of us as a mixture of VPLA board members but also staff here at Ratio. Who's got a burning question to ask Jess and Peter? So Mark Shepard, who's the president of VPLA, has asked Pete and Jess what they've learnt from each other and how it changes the way that they present the podcast but also probably a broader worldview as well.
1: I think for me... Um seeing Pete's ability to get to the bottom of an issue very very quickly and challenge again the status quo it's a common theme today um has been very enlightening and sort of educational for me to because because again as I was saying before we don't see a lot of people doing that so not that I would um, necessarily question people necessarily in the same way that Pete does um but just seeing his ability to get to the point really quickly I think has been really helpful for me um, and I've definitely learnt a lot from him in that space.
2: I think it gets to your sources that help you, you know, if you expose yourself to different sources of information that, that helps, you know, change your mindset. But in, in terms of what Jess has taught me, um, well, um, she's taught me that to
1: wear shin guards
2: gentleness (laughs) and kindness can elicit answers very well um she comes from a more conventional view to me to a lot of things so i I tap into that conventional views through jess and then sometimes i think gosh i'm really an outlier in this stuff (laughs) you know so jess is a just an excellent moderating moderating thing so
0: Fantastic. Anyone else? Kath, can I just say that's an almost impossible question to paraphrase, but for, for, for the podcast listeners, Kath Hegan is interested, I guess, for Pete to expand his views on the role of taxation and taxation reform on encouraging innovation.
2: Well, you know, Reaganomics and Thatcherism were absolutely necessary at that time. what they confronted was very much what's happening now high inflation stagflation um, and the the whole idea of giving people back agency by getting the government out of their lives is a very very good thing so i will not hear hear a bad word about ronald reagan Um, after all he said you know tear down these walls mr gorbachev i mean he he destroyed you know the evil empire which was the soviet union so in terms of trickle-down economics it, it, it's a very good thing, but there's a lot of other things, societal forces at work, which make us for a grumpy and unhappy and alienated place. So I wouldn't put the blame on you know, them or that concept. it was absolutely essential to get the economies back at that time. A lot of the other things that get associated with that weren't part of that. So, sorry, Kath, I, I, I just think there was a wonderful time of freedom and getting back agency to people. And we need more of that, not less of that.
1: How does it feel to be that person in the audience?
2: That no one agrees with. (laughs) Um, No, look, you know, one thing I'm staggered at is there's so much stuff to learn out there. And a lot of the views that we hear here all the time are not not represented. That's why I love America, because you've got 50 different states, 50 different laboratories, so much public discourse that we just don't have here you know Australia is I think you've forgotten
0: the 10,000 homicides by gun death each year Peter but anyway that's another yeah, well podcast. well
2: you know people bag the states but it's the most prosperous place in the world and it it is a place of enterprise and freedom I mean they take their their liberties very very importantly so you know it, you know there's always bad sides but there's the, the good fight that's why everyone wants to go to America if it was such a bad place, why does every why would anyone want to go there? They've got masses of people who want to have a green card. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Well, speaking of nutbags, I think that might be time to leave it there. Thanks, Peter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> As Jess will say, we'll have no more listeners after this.
0: I can't say editing. Jess and Peter, you enough for coming and. Being part of our Breakfast Speaker series this morning, it's been a real pleasure to have this conversation with you and I'd like to invite everyone to show their thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for
1: listening. If you would like to hear more of our podcasts, hit the follow button on Spotify or the like button on SoundCloud or the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts. Please also visit our Instagram page, LinkedIn or website for behind-the-scenes footage of our podcasts and to get the latest on upcoming or recently released episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please get in touch via our social media channels or by emailing planningexchange at gmail.com. A special shout out also to Jack Babbage, who does such an incredible job in producing this podcast.